0: You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. All right, so we are going to pick up, in fact, I think today I have about 100 directions that I could go this morning, and um, I'm going to try and narrow that down to maybe 15 directions that we could go. Uh, We started this this series last week that I just called Gospel Gleanings. We're just going to pick pieces of the gospel for a while. We may do this all summer. I don't know yet. But we started in John chapter 5 and also touched on Boyd's verses from John chapter 9 last week. And I want to go back and drill down into some things we didn't get to in those verses. And then uh, if, if there's time, have some other direction I want to go with this. But I want to start out uh, there. So if you want to open your Bibles with me back over to John chapter 5. We, uh, we looked at, we started in verse 8. And again, uh, this is another situation. This was where Jesus came Uh, To this was the man who had been an invalid, it says, for 38 years, laying by this pool. And uh, just read it here in John chapter 8. It'll go faster if I just read it than telling you about it. Um, I'm sorry, John chapter 5. I'm going to begin in verse 1. It says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which in Hebrew is called Bethesda having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. King James Version says, For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had had an infirmity 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been in that condition for a long time. And Jesus said to him, Do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked, And notice this phrase, and that day was the Sabbath. We're going to see a lot of that. In fact, let's read a couple more verses. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is a Sabbath, it is not lawful for you to carry your bed. And he answered them, he who made me well said, take up your bed and walk. So let's just stop there. So uh, we brought out a number of things about these verses and I won't go back into all of them. Uh, we brought a lot of things out about. One thing that we we talked about was, was just this question. And again, I don't know about you, but every time I read this passage, that question catches me, that Jesus came to this guy who had been laying there for 38 years and said, do you want to get well? So he didn't question his ability to get into the pool. He already knew all that about him. He didn't question, is somebody helping you? Do you have anybody to help you out? What do you need? None of that. He asked the guy about his desire. He asked him about his heart, about his posture. About We talked about appetite for the things of God last week. We talked about how we can increase our appetite for the things of God. And our appetite for the things of God is going to determine a lot of not what God does for us, the Lord has already Jesus went to the cross, and the the way the New Testament is written it tells us that the blessings of God already belong to us in Christ. they are already there for us. There is a flow of grace that comes with uh from the throne of God at all times because of what Jesus did for us. We don't earn anything with him we don't, but we do the Bible tells us in romans five two that that we by faith, we access the grace in which we stand. And so there's this connection between what God is pouring out and what we're reaching out with faith to receive. And so, this question, Jesus went to the heart of this man's issue. And I'm not criticizing. The guy had been there 38 years, and what had happened, I believe, to him is that that delayed breakthrough, that delayed miracle, that delayed healing for all of that time, he had become massively discouraged. His heart, he he was discouraged. He was thinking and looking just within himself and what he could do. And so Jesus opened that up and he said, hey, do you, do you want to get well? Do you have a desire? Do you have an appetite for what I'm bringing to you? And so we talked about that whole issue. And I just want to remind you that we can stir up our appetite for the things of God. And I you know, brought this to you many times. In the natural, when we get hungry, we eat food, it satisfies the hunger and and we're not hungry anymore. But in the spirit realm, it's exactly the opposite. When we connect with God, we consume him, we feed upon him, we get into the word, we get into his presence, we spend time in prayer, not just to know more things or to impress God somehow, but to connect with him, to feed on him. We get in the word. I was just thinking about this this morning. I was out on the back deck and it was pretty close, and you know, sunrise wasn't going to be too far off. It's probably between five thirty and six somewhere. And I was just reading scriptures I've read many, many times back in First Samuel about David and Jonathan and, and all of that. And uh, they're just, you know, it it was that it was the passage that talks about how Saul kept sending people to arrest David. It was the, it was the point where Saul wanted to kill David. And so he keeps sending people. And David was with Samuel with this whole group of prophets and they were worshiping and prophesying. If you look up the term prophesying there, they were worshiping and then the Holy Spirit was engaged in their worship and it was becoming powerful and they were prophesying. They were declaring the things of God. And every time he'd send more people there, the power of God was so strong there that those people would begin to worship and prophesy. They would come under the power of God in that setting. I was just thinking about, you know, so my point is, I'm just reading the Bible, okay? And and my goal, if you want to call it that, is always to connect. I want to read until something sparks and, I, and I'm connecting with God. I'm sensing his presence and and, and feeding on him through his word. That's why I'm going to the word. I'm not just going to learn a story. I'm not just going to see, even just to see big principles, which are great. I want to connect with the author. And so in that moment, it just hit me, God, that's what, man, that's what we want. We just want to be in places where your presence is so strong that somebody can can come in who's not even thinking about connecting you on that level, but man, your spirit comes upon them and they experience you. I mean, that's what that's what church is supposed to be about. So my point in that is just that this is, this is how we want to seek God. And when we do that, when you make that connection, it stirs up an appetite for more. You know, we taste and see that the Lord is good, that he has something for us. It connects with our heart. We're built for it. And, and it, it makes us hungry for more. So as we f- feed upon him feed upon his word, we get hungrier. So our appetite increases. All right, And it's so important. It's just so important for us. So that was one of the things we talked about last week and a lot of other things. But let's come back to these verses here, beginning in verse 8. And in this story, so again, Jesus tells this man, rise up, arise. We talked about what all of those words mean. Last week, rise up, take up your bed and walk. And, and so the man was healed and picked up his mat and began to walk. And the, the rulers of the day, the Jewish rulers of the day, it says here, that day was the Sabbath. We're going to see that over and over and over and over as we look through the Gospels. This became the point of conflict. It wasn't just about the Sabbath. It wasn't just that he did it on Saturday. It wasn't just that that was the Sabbath, the day of rest unto God. It was what that meant. It was the fact that when Jesus did a miracle on the Sabbath, it threatened the power structure that existed, the religious ruling power structure that existed in Israel. When he stepped beyond that, because they would say, it, you know, they, they went on to say here, It's not lawful, right? It's not lawful for you to pick up your mat. Can you imagine? It just blows my mind. This guy had been laying there for 38 years. This guy needed healing and he was with a whole group of people that needed healing. And somebody steps out and this miracle happens and their question is, or their statement is, hey, it's not legal for you to pick up that mat and carry it. It's not, this is against the law. And I want you to know that there are a lot of places in the scripture where Jesus says, your law. He'll be talking back and forth with them, and he'll say, your law. And it's like, well, isn't this God's law? I mean, that's what we think, you know, isn't this God's law? And Jesus is saying, your law. Or Jesus is saying to the people, you have heard it said, but I say remember that all all through the gospels you've heard this said but i say and there's a great lesson i mean number 1 what he was addressing there was that god gave the law to moses and that and then over the years you know that begins with the 10 commandments and then we go back through and they began to interpret those 10 commandments, just like we do. And they had legitimate questions. Okay, so here's the Sabbath. We come to that sixth day. We're not allowed to work. What does that mean? I mean, can I untie my donkey and give it a drink? Is that, is that too much? Can I get out of bed? What can I do? And I believe that started with a heart to serve God and to obey what God was saying and to walk with God. But they did exactly what we do with law. We we create a law and then we start to interpret it, interpret it, interpret it, interpret it. How many miles per hour can I drive over the speed limit without getting stopped, right? That's the question, seven, yeah, sometimes, sometimes not. But, you know, I mean, that's what we do. And that's why, same thing in our country. We've got about a billion laws on the books. And that's what they did. And And from my study, by the time Jesus came, there were 650 laws, rules, that defined what it meant to keep the Sabbath holy. God said, keep the Sabbath holy. By the time Jesus was there, There were 650 specific regulations. One of them was you can't pick something up of a certain weight and carry it a certain distance. You can't walk a certain distance. You can't do this, you can't do that because it's the Sabbath. So this is how we're defining it. So the point is, those were man-made rules that became traditions, all right? So this, it was not Jesus, we're gonna see him accused of breaking the Sabbath over and over and over Jesus never broke the Sabbath commandment. He did break the tradition of men regarding the Sabbath commandment. And that's what happened here. But that and a a number of other issues, but the Sabbath seems to become a real central one, became a point of contention and conflict between Jesus and the rulers that comes all the way down. I mean, it was one of the things they brought in accusation to him all the way down to the crucifixion. Okay. And at some point, not this week, maybe next week, see how far we get this week. I want to talk about Sabbath. And I want to talk about what it is because we have a total misunderstanding of Sabbath as Gentile Christians too. You know, what are we supposed to do at Sabbath? There's still people who feel now we we as Christians have to meet on Saturday together for worship, not on Sunday. And there's a good reason that the Christian Church began to meet on the first day of the week, and so the last day of the week, and all that. So, I, so I want to talk to you about all that, but not today. Okay, but but we see this type of conflict just go on and on and on. And what it boiled down to was that the rulers perceived Jesus as a threat to their power structure, as a threat to their system. If he's gonna violate that and do it in a way. And I mean this man, this, you know, they said, well, he, you know, it's unlawful for you to carry your bed. This guy comes back and says, the guy who had me get up and walk told me to carry my bed. You know, and it is. I talked to you about this last week. It's like, wait a minute. I've been laying there 38 years. This man comes with the power of God and sets me free, and he told me to carry my bed. And you're telling me I shouldn't carry my bed? I mean, it is a direct statement of a direct conflict with their authority. It is questioning their power and their authority and saying there's a higher authority than you guys. And I made this statement to you last week. Human government never likes to hear that there's a higher authority. I'm not saying every person that works in human government. I'm saying human government all over the world, every type of government, they want to be the government. And they don't like the idea that there's a higher authority, something they're accountable to, somebody they're accountable to in the way that they govern. And that's one of the things I love about our system and about our founding. It was one of the very first principles. I think it's the most important principle that we have is that we are a nation under God. All right. It doesn't mean we're a theocracy. This nation was never established as a theocracy. But it means we recognize that there is a higher authority than us and that there are laws, there are, there are rules, there are laws out there that were established. And our role is to be sure that people are able to live in the freedoms and the, the blessings that God established for them. Give them, uh, we're here to protect the rights that God gave them. We didn't give them those rights. So so that's an important principle for us, you know, to realize. And so this was the issue. And again, we're just going to see this as we go through. We're going to see this struggle between Jesus and the authorities of the day. And so I just want to give you a little list here. Jesus demonstrated his authority and the authority of the Father in a number of ways. And one of them was his teaching. And remember the people were listening to him and they said, this is different. This guy teaches with authority. And it wasn't just that Jesus was telling them what to do. What they were describing with that, um, the scribes and the Pharisees when they taught out of, I believe, out of respect for the law and the word of God, what they had, the Torah, what they had of the word of God, out of respect for that, and this is just what I've read, they taught in a very monotone way. They read the law, they they explained the law, but I don't know how else to say it. It was just laid out. It wasn't something that was personified in them. It wasn't something that they carried it was we're just saying this you know we're just we're just declaring what god has said and and when jesus came he embodied the spirit and the power of god and he'd come into a church service so to speak on a saturday in a little town and he would either <laughs> he'd say well we're going to have you read the scripture today and he'd read messianic scriptures out of isaiah and then say, "Today these scriptures are fulfilled in your hearing." Essentially, claiming to be the Messiah, freaked them out. Didn't make them happy. Okay, they went to throw him off a cliff the one time, but that didn't happen. Okay, or you know, there's a guy in the church service that needs healing. He's got a withered hand, and the, everybody knew that. And Jesus, he even he, he brought the guy. We don't want to embarrass anybody, right, in in America. We don't want to embarrass, well, no, he brought the guy right in the middle and said, so is it lawful, same deal, is it lawful on the Sabbath to heal this man's hand or not? And they wouldn't answer, so he said, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched out his hand, he was healed. And man, Jesus was in trouble again because of this issue of the Sabbath. But it really wasn't about the Sabbath, it was about a power structure that Jesus was Confronting, and he was doing it. He did it through his teaching. He did it through miracles. Miracles, by definition, are something that supersedes natural law. Something that can't happen, right? It's impossible, and yet it does happen by the power of God. And so, as he worked miracles, it was evidence that hey, there's there's a higher a higher power, and I mean I don't mean that in that uh, you know there is a higher authority here and it's being demonstrated, it's being manifested among us. And again it got him in trouble. Why? Cuz it addressed the power structure. All right. His absolute authority over demons. Jesus cast demons out of people and had his disciples and then the whole church, assigned the whole church to do the same thing by the power of God. And that was not happening. There were attempts, but it wasn't happening. Jesus demonstrated power He lived in the spirit of the law. He lived not just in the legalistic nuances of human law, but he lived in the spirit. He embodied the spirit of God and what God had actually said. So he never broke the Sabbath commandment. He did break the tradition of it, but he actually fully embodied the spirit of Sabbath, the place of rest and connection with God that God intended by giving the sabbath but again I don't want to get into that because I'll be on it for the rest of the morning and I'd prefer not to do that this morning. So so again history shows us that wherever human government doesn't recognize I want you to hang on to this thought not about big big government but anyway wherever human government has not recognized that there's an authority higher than them, bad things have happened throughout history and it will always be that way, okay? So just hang on to that. We'll come back to that in a couple of minutes. Um, so here in John, I'm going to John chapter nine. We looked at these verses last week, Boyd, uh, and, I, and I'm gonna stand on this a little bit. I'm not gonna stand on this. I'm hoping this will stay up. See if I can dump my computer on the ground. Um, I brought this to you last week. I got a lot of deer in the headlights. So I'm just going to stand on this and tell you why I feel like this is important Uh, again this week. And actually it was interesting. Boyd Boyd was out of town last week. He referred to this this morning. Um, So this is the reason I brought these verses up is because this whole chapter is another chapter where Jesus heals someone on the Sabbath and has this conflict uh, with the leaders, the rulers of his day. And this man says the same thing. I mean, these guys bring his parents in, his parents distance themselves from this man after he is healed because they didn't quite want to say, they said, he's of age, ask him who healed him. We don't know. You know, they didn't want to get into the conflict. They didn't want to be kicked out of the synagogue. Uh, you know, his the, the Jews, the friends around him, all of them, Uh, pointed to this and resisted but this guy having been healed of blindness he was blind from birth I mean toward the end of that chapter just read John chapter 9 you get down toward the end and he makes this great statement about because the Jews are saying we don't know who this guy Jesus is we don't know who he is And he says, that's amazing that you don't know who he is and yet he healed a man who was blind from birth that's never even been heard of. So again, here's a regular person standing up in the face of the religious authorities which were the government of the day. I mean, there was Rome over that, but I mean, they were the the government over the Jews And standing up in their face and saying, that is amazing. Essentially, that you will not acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah when you see things like this happen. So again, this conflict keeps going on. But so in the New King James Version and many other versions, this is how this reads, John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. So, Boyd read first from the NIV, which I use a lot. I think it does a really poor job on this particular um, passage. Uh, a lot of our translations add a number of words that are not in the original language, number one. And, and that's okay. Sometimes we need to add words to describe what's in the original language, and that's fine. Uh, but in this case, they, they work hard, I believe, Again, this is my opinion, all right? There are others who hold it, but this is my opinion. You can take it or leave it. Um, But they'll add words that, that try to demonstrate that God had this man born blind. This was God's intention to have this man born blind so that this miracle could occur and God would be glorified through it. And that's the way that passage is taught most of the time. The second point is that, yeah, in the original manuscripts, there's no punctuation. So the translators, and by and large, they've done a great job, had to figure out how to collect the thoughts, where to put a period, where to put a comma, that kind of thing. And in this particular case, you can see that that piece at the bottom is the John Clement translation, okay? I just think there should be a period in a different place. You'll see that JCT everywhere. This is big. This is really big. Again, this is my opinion. I believe it should read this way. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, period. That was Jesus' answer to their question. But that the works of God should be revealed in him, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I'm the light of the world. Okay, so punctuated that way, to me, it emphasizes Either way, even if you don't accept that at all, that's fine. Uh, Either way, Jesus pointed out that the healing was the work of God, not the man's condition. He says, but that the works of God may be seen in him, right? So he pointed out that it isn't the guy's condition. So why was he in that condition? And this becomes really important for us as we're ministering to people in the world that have a total misunderstanding of who God is and even what we teach about who God is. And I'll give you an example of it in just a minute. But why was he this way? And, and their question, like many, many people, their question was, who sinned? They're, so what they're saying is, this blindness, blind from birth, you know, that's a big deal. Okay, this guy didn't have an accident and get gored by an ox, you know, or something. He was blind from birth. And so their assumption was somebody sinned and God punished this baby for somebody's sin. Was it him? Not sure how they thought he would sin before he was born. Okay, but was it him? Was there some sin in him? Or was this passed down generationally? But either way, the assumption was, This was the result of personal sin. All right? So let me try and work through this. So all sickness and all disease is a result of the sin condition in the earth because there is overall sin ever since the garden, right? We fell. There was a separation from the life of God that was never intended God kept ministering to people, but we chose, we human beings chose, we made a decision to believe what the devil said in the garden instead of believing what God had said. To to believe what the devil's telling us about our identity, to believe what he said about God and who God is. and And I've told you this before, he still comes with the same kinds of lies to us. He'll question, he said, First of all, he questioned what God had said. He said to Adam and Eve, to God, to Eve, did God really say that? Really? Did you misunderstand? Did God really say? That was the first question. Then he came out with a direct, no, no. He says, you won't surely die if you eat this fruit. You won't surely die if you believe my word. You won't surely die. What God said to you is not true, is what he's saying. And, and then he says, you know what? God's just withholding from you. He said, you know, it, God just knows that if you eat of this fruit, you'll be like him. And he doesn't want you to be like him. Well, they were already like him. They were made in his image and likeness and they were his representatives on the earth. It was all a lie, but they believed it. Adam, apparently with his eyes wide open, it says Eve was actually deceived. Adam knew what he was doing and did it anyway. But anyway, so, there's, so we're born into this condition of sin. And God over there, He first made covenant after covenant with people. He gave us His word so that we could walk in those covenants and be protected down to the time of the Messiah. and now we can receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and receive His work at the cross, be born again and come back into relationship with God. All right? But so all sin, sickness, disease, poverty, war, distress, all of that, it, it wasn't in the garden. And it's not in heaven, okay? So it's all, in a big sense, the result of the sin condition in the earth. But not all sickness is the result of personal sin. It's not, if you get sick, we're not all sitting here wondering, oh, I wonder what they did. What'd you do this week? How come, you know, what'd you do? Oh, you got injured. Wow, God must have been mad at you. And yet, I mean, people don't say that, but that attitude is out there. There are people in the world, and I feel bad for them, that believe when something happens, well, why did God do that? Why did God let that happen? Why did God, if he's a good God, why is there pain in the earth? Because of sin. And and certainly there are sins that we can commit that will bring sickness, you know, as a direct result. There is that. But the wages of sin is death, which in the Bible means separation from the life of God and what was intended for him so so certainly uh, you know it was a it was a question that people still have but why is it so important to know that one way or the other, whether you like my translation or not, Jesus said, "I've got to do the works of God and he healed that guy. We just we just read a thing this week. Karen read a thing on, I guess, on Facebook. There's a guy who's kind of a celebrity that's had cancer a couple of times. And uh, he's a veterinarian, but he's kind of a celebrity. A lot of people know him, big Facebook page and stuff. He's had ca- cancer a couple of times. He's kind of disappeared, and the show's not back this year and stuff. We spend a lot of time watching veterinarian shows, just so you know. We are hip people, okay? Um, but... So, so the speculation was that his cancer has come back and then some people said it did. So one of the comments under there was, why does God always go after the good ones? Why does God go after the people who are, you know, who are trying to help others? Why does God always go after those? So that person believes that they see cancer. Why did God go after that one? That We need to realize that's a reality out there. That is a misconception. It is a lie. It's sown by the devil. It goes right to, this is why I talk to you so much about the nature of God and knowing the nature of God in the word and as seen in Jesus Christ, he is the exact representation of the father and we never see him give anybody cancer. We never see him make anybody blind. We only see him healing and restoring and redeeming. That's the heart of God. Okay? But this is a question we need to be able to answer. And these are some of the verses that get pointed to. Well, Jesus said here that God did it. Now, I don't think he did. I don't believe he did. I don't believe that's, you know, I don't think that's even the way that's supposed to be written. But whether you accept that or not, Jesus heals. Okay? Does that make sense to you? So, I mean, there are questions like this that we need to be able to answer. And, and, If we just get to know the Lord, we, you know, the answers are here, but it comes, it comes back to, um, you know, where did that person, I don't know where she got that idea, but I'll bet it was from a religious tradition about God. It was from a tradition somebody had that, well, you just never know what God's going to do. When something happens, you look to, you know, why did God do that? It comes back to that whole thing of that God micromanages everything that happens on planet earth. It takes away the idea of the authority and the dominion that God gave to man on this planet in the first place. And then as Jesus has now recovered, we gave over to the devil. Jesus has now taken back all authority in heaven and on earth and has installed it in his church to be out releasing the gospel and the life of God. We have a job. We have a responsibility here to represent him. So, you know, there are a number of big principles caught up in some of those, you know, because we might read some a comment like that and we might just go, you know, how stupid. Well, it's not stupid. It's a terrible misunderstanding of the nature of God that will prevent that person probably from coming to the Lord until somebody can come to them and represent Jesus accurately. It'll it'll keep them at a distance because, hey, why would I want to connect with a God that I never know if he's going to make my kids sick or I never know if he's going to, you know, kill my husband. I never know, you know, what he's going to do. If you believe that about him, it gets pretty difficult to get a lot of people feel like, well, I can do a better job than that, you know? So we, nobody else is going to tell them the truth, okay? Nobody else is going to be able to connect with somebody like that and tell them the truth. But you see it, if your eyes are open to it, you see that type of thing everywhere, okay? So, well, let's go on here. All right, so with that in mind, all right, so, so this person I just talked about put, made the Facebook post, Now let me back up. The issue between Jesus and the leaders is he's confronting their traditions, not the words that actually came from God. All right? He is the words that actually came from God. All right? That person on that Facebook post probably got that from religious tradition. Probably absorbed that from some religious teaching. Okay? So throughout the Gospels, we see this. The religious leaders refused to acknowledge Jesus as Messiah because he challenged their authority by confronting their traditions, including the Sabbath. It wasn't just about the Sabbath, but including the Sabbath. Jesus said, and you can find this in Mark chapter 7, verse 13, that the traditions of men, and this is what he's talking about, ideas about God that don't line up with the Word of God. All right, Traditions of men. He said the traditions of men will make the Word of God of no effect. We know that the word, through His words, God created everything. We know that Jesus is the Word of God in flesh. We know that the word, the Bible tells us over in Luke chapter one, verse 37, it's clearest in the amplified Bible, that the Word of God actually carries the power within itself to bring itself to pass. That the word of God is the seed of the life of God that can come into somebody's heart and totally transform their life. That the word of God spoken will will produce, will release faith into people where they can connect with the Lord. The word of God is alive and powerful and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It'll go into our heart and it will divide between thoughts that are just coming up out of the unrenewed part of us and thoughts that are coming from the spirit of God. The word of God is full of wisdom and power and life. We know this stuff, okay? Jesus said that powerful word. He said, traditions of men, bad ideas about who God is and what he has said, all right, who, that have become traditions. We've embraced them. We have, we, have begin, we have begun to create a structure out of them. We've begun to live as if those things are true. They're traditions. We pass them down from one generation to the other. He said those traditions can make that powerful word of God of no effect. It, those traditions don't change the word of God. They change us. They make them of no effect in our lives. Okay, So the tradition will be having an effect in our life instead of the word of God. Does that make sense to you? You got that? You got it? Okay. I know it's simple, but it's, it's powerful. Okay. So my question then was, what traditions do I hold or what traditions do I, would I have that would make the word of God of no effect in my life? Okay. It's a good question to ask ourselves. Are there things we have picked up, beliefs we've picked up along the way? Probably from religious sources, but not from the Lord, from the Word of God, from the Spirit of God. So here's a little list, and these are just some of these are just silly, but one of them is that there are still people who believe that the church of Jesus to be right has to meet on Saturday instead of Sunday. Now God doesn't condemn people for these things. I'm just saying it'll it'll affect your life. It can become a tradition. And we and when we talk about Sabbath, we'll talk about why why we do what we do and there are very good reasons for it. We'll talk about the difference between the Sabbath and the Lord's Day. The the Sabbath anyway, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. Um we'll go there another day. All right? A lot of people, one way or another, they don't say it like this, but they believe that God blesses people or heals people or we receive from God based on our works. Do we deserve it? If you, if you deserve it, he'll take care of it. If, if not, if you don't, if you don't do the right, all the right things and you don't deserve it, then you're cut off from the blessing of God. We call that legalism. We call that works. Not understanding that, no, we receive from God based on faith, based on trust. That God has already provided for us. That all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus, and our part is the amen. Our part is the so be it. The the receiving part of it. But but there, are people, it's a tradition that they hold, and and I have certain people in my life that I've dealt with for twenty years about this issue, and it becomes frustrating. But I wish I could do a better job to help them see that, no, because every time there's a problem in an area of their life, they're looking for some, something. I, I have to do something more. I have to do something more to get God to change this. And I have not yet been able to get past that in their life. Um, some people believe that you go to heaven if you're born into a certain family, a certain denomination, a certain culture, that kind of thing. I was raised Catholic. And I was taught that I was going to heaven because I was born to Catholic parents. Well, none of us were even good Catholics to say nothing of going to heaven. Okay. And it wasn't until I found out, oh no, it's by putting faith, personal faith in Jesus as my savior. That's, that's how you go to heaven. So again, I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm just saying, these are things that are out there. Um, A lot of people these days have, I, I have my their, their, their testimony is, I have, I have faith. I have my faith. That means I believe what I believe. And it doesn't necessarily line up what God has said, but I believe what I believe. I have my personal faith. It's personal to me. I don't, and, and you might ask, well, what, what, does it, what does it look like? How does it affect your life? What do you do with it? What do you do with your faith? Well, I just have my personal faith, you know, and, and you really can't get past that point. And it's become this, you know, this very enclosed, I I have my personal faith and, and it's not, not supposed to share it with anybody, not supposed to say anything to anybody. Well, that's not what the word of God says to us. It's not even the way faith works there. We have a personal relationship with God. Absolutely. But it's personal, not private. Okay. Um, Here's a great one that I lived in for many years. I don't need to be involved in a church to be a Christian. And that's true. You don't need to be involved in a local church to be a Christian. You're just going to miss out on a lot of what God has for you. And it's true, you don't. But usually that's kind of said by people who've been hurt in church or something like that. you know. And so they're missing out on a whole lot in life and using kind of this structure, this partial truth, Uh, to help that. How about this one? God helps those who help themselves. I can remember my mother saying that to me. This was one place she was wrong. God helps those who approach him by faith. God helps those who uh, love him and are very innocent and just approach him by faith. God helps those who help themselves. It's just a thing. Again, it gets into a works thing. All right, does this make sense? And I mean, you can think of a lot of them. Women should never be allowed to speak in church really. And yet, you go back to the book of Acts, first of all, And you see when the Holy Spirit got poured out, there were men and women out in the street prophesying, speaking in other tongues, getting people born again. You look through the New Testament, you look at the names of the leaders in the New Testament. And we don't know it because they're Greek names, but several of those are female names that were leading house churches at the time. You look back in the Old Testament and God used women to prophesy. God used women, man, God used women a lot I think because they're way easier to use than men a lot of the time. Can any of the men agree with me? One, thank you. Two, I appreciate that. So, you know, we can get into those scriptures. We can look at how that got going and what the understanding and what the the scriptures, you know, the things that Paul wrote, there are verses in our English Bibles that look like that. And uh, there are good answers to all of those. Lord said, I will pour out my spirit on my sons and my daughters and they shall prophesy. Okay, so anyway, there's another one. Uh, The gifts of the spirit passed away with the last apostle. That last apostle, there are still apostles today, by the way, but that last apostle is getting old and the gifts of the spirit are flowing and then he has a heart attack and dies and that's it. gifts of the spirit are gone. Okay. That's not true. But there are a lot of people who live people believe they turn into people per, turn into angels when they die. The Christians turn into angels when they die. They think they should continue to communicate with the dead which is strictly forbidden in the scripture. People don't turn into angels. People are actually created at a higher level than angels. Okay? Angels are sent to serve People, we don't command them. We speak the word of God, and God commands them. But they're here to serve people. But a lot of people believe that people have turned into angels when they die. It's not scriptural. It's just not scriptural. People believe that if we pray to Mary, Mary has Jesus here because because she's his mom, right? And we all got to listen to mom. So if I can't get him, you know, I can't get him to do what I want. Pray to Mary. Pray to some saint. We're saints, according to the Bible. But anyway, it just means those who are separated unto God. But anyway, pray to Mary, she'll get him to do it. Well, that interferes with your prayer life the way Jesus laid it out. Jesus laid it out that you speak to the Father in his name. You have a direct relationship through Jesus with him. So I I'm not again, I'm not just picking on people. Maybe it sounds like it. Maybe it doesn't. I'm just saying there are a lot. So my question to us for today, and we've got to quit, is what are the ones we have? Do we have? Do we have traditional beliefs in our life that don't line up with the Word of God that are going to make us, again, it's not that God's going to be mad about it. It's that he wants you to know the truth. He wants you to live in the truth. He wants to renew our minds. He wants us to get free of some of those things because they hinder having, living in the fullness of, of what God has for us. So I just think it's a good thing, you know, uh, nothing to get condemned about or be weird about just in your own prayer time. Just be really open to the Lord as you're reading the scripture. I want him to show me where my beliefs are off or my thoughts are not lining up with his thoughts. Cause there are a lot of them and he does it regularly, you know? And, and so it's like, yeah, I want my mind renewed. I want to be able to think the way he does to think his thoughts, to live out of his thoughts. I don't want to live in just human traditions. Okay. But those became, you know, and there's no reason for us to feel, um, feel obligated just because something is popular in society or even popular in, in the church, in Christianity, because it's a popular idea. If it's not in line with the word of God, we're not obligated to take hold of that. We shouldn't take hold of that and pull it into our hearts, right? I mean, we want to learn from his word, and from his spirit, be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And that's a process for all of us for our whole life whole life till we see him face to face and then we are all going to get our theology straightened out every single one of us okay but it's going to be a good thing it's it's not a not a bad scary thing okay so we're going to break it off right there <clears throat> i wanted to get into some other things this morning but i ate up all of the time so so there's there's more to come all right let's stand up and pray together this morning thank you lord Thank you, Father God. And I do want to pray this morning for anybody in here or anybody that's watching us, joining us out there online this morning, that if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, the Bible says we need to believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. In other words, he came. He was the word of God made flesh. He came to the earth, he revealed who God was and he took our sin and the penalty for our sin upon himself and he went to the cross and he died for us. And by that sacrifice and us putting trust in that sacrifice, that what he did is enough. I don't have to work for this anymore. I just need to trust that God then raised him from the dead and that really was the stamp of approval on what he did at the cross. God raised him from the dead believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and speak speak it with your mouth just say it out loud that Jesus is Lord. The Bible says if we'll do those two things we'll be saved. And so I you know and and then we go through times in our life where we're walking closer to him and if we make that decision and we receive him as savior then you're born again and you become a part of the family of God and the spirit of God comes to live in you. But then sometimes we go through periods in our life where we get kind of distant from him, and if you're in that place this morning, we can just pray and just you just once again say, "Lord, I want to be back in that really close place again with you and if there's something you need to repent of or let go of that's been pulling you away from him, maybe it's something like busyness maybe it's uh, maybe it's a sin issue, maybe it's busyness, maybe it's just um, apathy, you know it could be a lot of things. Then we just come and we say, Lord, I I repent of that. I turn away from that and I turn back to you. And I ask you to restore me to that close relationship that we had at one point. Maybe you've made Jesus Lord of your life, but somehow you've just never really felt close to him. Well, that's just a good prayer too, just to be able to say to him, Lord, I see that there's a real close relationship that's available with you. and, And your spirit already lives in me, but Lord, I want this relationship. To get better. So I'm just going to pray over those things. If that's you this morning, you can just pray that between you and the Lord. If somebody out on online is watching and you feel one of those things, we're just going to pray through that. Father, I, I thank you first of all, Lord, for people realizing this morning that Jesus Christ is the one true Savior Jesus, you said you're the way, the truth, and the life. You said that you didn't come to condemn people, but to bring them into relationship with the Father. And so, Lord, I I just pray for anybody out there to be able to just confess to you, Jesus, accept you this morning as Lord and Savior, to believe in their hearts. You know what? I can just sense it on the inside. My brain might even be confused about it, but I sense it on the inside. Jesus died for my sins. And I accept him right now as my Lord and Savior. And Lord, if there are those, Father, that have just grown distant, or just haven't had the relationship, we know in our hearts, we just haven't, we're not as close as we used to be, or we've never been as close as we could be. Father, we bring that before you. And I pray this morning for anybody in that place that they would be able, Lord, to just come to you, Lord, and release that to you. Confess sin, if that's what needs to happen, Lord, but Father, that you, this morning, they would sense you're embracing them. And you're drawing them back into that close, personal, intimate relationship with you. Father, I thank you for all of that this morning. And Lord, as we've looked through these things, I ask today, Lord, if there are traditions in our lives or in our hearts that would keep us, things that we would believe about you that aren't true, Holy Spirit, we're inviting you to to reveal those things to us and bring the word of God to us so that we can embrace the truth. And Lord, as we continue to look at these gospels, these are just stories about you. And I just pray, Father, that Jesus would be uh, revealed more and more and more as we do this particular study. We thank you for all of that. We thank you for our assignment to this community, to our families, to our places of work, to the people we'll interact with uh, this week, Lord, uh, we just ask you to use us to speak to this valley and to bring life and blessing and peace and health to this valley in the name of Jesus. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. All right. Are you glad you came? Okay. We're going to say this on the count of three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Base in the world. We'll come back here at about 20 after. Uh, those of you who want to be involved with the LOV deal. And we'll be back in here. So, one, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Go out there and be the church. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.